We've been studying the book of Hebrews, as you know this, for quite some time, uh, and we're still in it. And we have called it the letter of better because it's stock full of uh, better alternatives to what we might find apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we've been looking at chapter 11, the faith on a roll. And I want for us to consult only two verses tonight. It's at the end of chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, in which in that chapter are listed all of these marvelous heroes of the faith, men and women who trusted God. And I want to make the point that whatever it is they received in the form of blessing from him, I want to make the point that what we have now is far better than what all of these in the past had. So join with me in verse 39 of chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. Look how it begins. And all these. We, uh, we particularly paid attention to some, but for the sake of some forward movement, uh, we're not going to deal with each of these marvelous people in the text. We'll summarize some of what they stood for tonight. But all of these is a reference to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Gideon and all of these marvelous ones we so long to meet in Beulah land. Just wait, we shall. And, and, and so all of these is a reference to those whom the writer of Hebrews has specified as being exemplary men and women who manifested faith. And if you look at verses 35 to 38, you see their experience in life. They were a very diverse group. I mentioned differences in gender and age and all the rest. But one thing they had in common is that... They evoked the world's displeasure and disapproval. Generally speaking, they were not popular. They did not win friends and influence people. They didn't fit in. They were countercultural. People in the day didn't like them. And as a result, they were tortured. Uh, they were murdered. Some, the text says, were even sawn, if you could imagine it, sawn in two. Others were whipped, imprisoned. Some were stoned. Uh, others had very little uh, of what the world had to offer materially. They were destitute. They went from place to place with meager provision. And they were mistreated by the very people who they sought to embrace with the marvelous message of the God who is there and who is good. All of these, the text tells us, though lacking man's approval, look what it says, gained approval. It's God's approval through their faith. And when I read this, it just hit me with a diagnostic question I have to answer for myself and I want to spread the wealth and invite you to answer it privately as well. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose means more? The approval of people or the approval of God? Now, sadly, sometimes it isn't either or. It doesn't always have to be. It's best if you could have both. The approval of members of society who you seek to embrace with a marvelous redemptive message and the approval of the Redeemer. But if you had to choose, 
whose approval is more important to you? It's a question we have to face. And if your answer is, for sure, I would rather have God's approval than anybody else's, then you need to know some of what these in the list experience may befall you and I as well. I must tell you, the Christian point of view is becoming in our day increasingly counter-cultural. You might have thought, oh no, it's part and parcel of the culture. Our country is founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic. Well, maybe that was the foundation, but it is no longer the superstructure. Do you know that? The Christian point of view, the biblical point of view, is countercultural when it comes to relationships, when it comes to handling of money, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to life, when it begins. Is it holy regardless of the quality of the life one lives? Isn't it holy just by virtue of the fact that life is given by God and reflects his image? Don't you see those points of view are counter-cultural? Who are you to tell people how to live? You who have so narrowly defined marriage to limit it to two opposite gender people when two same gender people, not promiscuous but in love with one another, want the same benefits of marriage heterosexuals have, why do you stand in the way? And this God who you say came up with the idea of one man irreversibly bound to one woman. Oh my goodness, that God is archaic and obsolete. We don't believe in that God anymore. Folks, I, I must tell you, sadly, if your answer to the question is, I would rather have God's approval than that of anyone else, I don't care how kind and gentle and diplomatic and discreet you try to be, at a certain point, your value system, now that you have the mind of Christ, is going to set you apart from the culture in which you live, and you may experience its disapproval. That's just the way it is. So you have to decide. I'm working on it because I love the feeling of having people's favor, and so do you. But I don't want to love it so much that people's approval becomes an idol I look to more than the one true God. So folks, some hard choices have to be made by the people of God in these days. And would you notice these gained approval, God's approval, how? Through their faith. I tried to come to grips with what that lofty concept means so I could wrap my hands around it, uh, not so much to communicate to you, but so that it would get in my thick skull. Faith, a word so often mentioned in the Bible, but what does it mean? Would you allow me to bring it down to earth? And please correct me if I brought it too far down. To me, faith means to lean on God. <clears throat> There's lots of alternatives. You can lean on yourself, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. You can lean on the economy. You could, I don't know. You can lean on a partner, not your own. You, I, Or you can lean into, you can lean on, you could rest, you can rest on God. You could, you could take your, 
That's what they did. They leaned into God. They leaned on him. They believed in his presence. They believed in his promises. And they believed in his provision. Yeah, he, he, they had that. And on that basis, they, they, won his, they won his approval. So I have a dog. I have two, as a matter of fact. And they're my babies. And uh, one is Sadie and one is Millie. And Sadie is terrified by rain, thunder, lightning, these kinds of things. And when the storm uh, like that comes, Sadie will run to me. She'll find me wherever I may be. She's shaking. She's shivering. And she will just jump up no matter what I'm sitting on or lying on or whatever, no matter who's around. She will just jump and she will lean into me as if to say, I could hear her. You don't have to believe me. <laughs> I could just hear her say, Daddy. That's what she calls me. <laughs> Daddy, will you protect me? I'm leaning on you. And Daddy says, you can count on it. Could I tell you something? There are sometimes Sadie will do that to me after having been forced out in the backyard. And when she comes back in and jumps on me, there's mud on her paws. She's a muddy mess. And now it has been transmitted to me. It's all over me. And sometimes I'm tempted to get angry and rebuke her and shoo her away. But then I realize, oh, no, she's trusting me. She's leaning on me. How could I violate her trust? Nobody likes mud, but there's something about her neediness, her fearfulness, her weakness. There's something about that that endears her to my heart in spite of the mud. And sometimes she has fleas and mud. And I say, oh, I don't mind scratching. Just keep leaning. I just love the fact that something in her tells her I could be trusted. I approve of her in spite of fleas and mud and irrationality. Sadie, one time I tried to explain to her, could I explain to you atmospheric conditions and precipitation? It's just rain. You don't die from it. Everything's... Even though she doesn't comprehend reality, doesn't think straight, even though she has fears that persist instead of reason, even though she's a dirty old mongrel, she's mine. And out of the entire population of the world, she made a decision to lean on one person. Because my wife says she's just a dog. <laughs> my wife says that. And I tell my dog, shh, she'll hear. <laughs> I'm the one person in the entire population of the world who she trusts. And in spite of mud and fleas and fears and all the rest, 
I approve of her because she leans on me. I didn't tell her, clean up your act, get it together, and then come to me. She has my approval by her sheer and utter faith, confidence that I'll be there for her in spite of all that she represents. Sometimes I hear Sadie say, Daddy, did I tell you she calls me that? I know she does. She speaks in tongues and I interpret. She says, when she goes, that's daddy. So um, she, she, uh, sometimes she says, daddy, uh, I sort of believe you're good, stronger than I am, there for me. Well, then why don't you just take away these storms? If you're so good, if you're so there, if you're so willing to protect me in spite of me, why do you permit these storms? And then I say to Sadie, Sadie, I permit them because without them, you and I would not be having this conversation, would we? I tell her, that's why I permit the storms. They enhance our communion, don't they? The storms of life cause you to come to me. And when you come to me, you find out you came to the right one. I think that's, you'll forgive the, I mean, no respect to Almighty God and Scripture and the concept of faith. But I think that's what it is for one such as me and one such as you. In the storms of life, faith means you've made a decision to run to one and one only. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't say, but look at this flaw and that blemish and that sinful thought and this he sees it for his all-knowing. <clears throat> he said, you have my approval because you've come to me by faith. Through faith, in my presence, in my promises, in my provision. And I will in no wise, I will in no wise cast you out. Do you realize that's the God we believe in and serve? That is biblical faith. It seems to me. And all these having gained approval, it doesn't say by their effort, by their discipline, by their resolutions, commitments, promises, personal sacrifice. And all these having gained approval through faith. Sometimes I wonder, God, why is faith the only vehicle by which I could get to you. Why is that so pleasing to you when nothing else is? And I wonder if God is saying, because anything else is something you will take credit for. Anything else you will place your boast in. Anything else is a source of arrogance to you. But faith just means with mud and with fleas and with fears, 
I just come just as I am without one. Did you say flee? And that admission of weakness and dependence and neediness is so pleasing to Almighty God because then he has the opportunity to be who he is. You know who he is? Trustworthy. But we don't know it till we trust him. So it was through their faith that they gained God's approval. And yet... These very ones, the text says, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive what was promised. Hey, I want to tell you something. Uh, this is the first time in all of the book of Hebrews, we're in chapter 11 now, first time that the word promise is used in the singular. Up until now, the writer has spoken of promise says. Promise says like the land of Canaan and, you know, Abram, there'll be a multitude of people coming from, you know, all this kind of stuff. Promise says, plural. This is the first time in the entire book of Hebrews uh, that the word promise is in the singular. So this could read, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive the promise. The promise. What is the writer up to? What is he seeking to specify? What is the singular promise they eagerly looked for yet did not receive? It's the Redeemer and redemption and a covenant of grace. I prove it to you. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 14, then 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go. Dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now verse 15. And I, God said, I will put enmity between you, Satan. I will put enmity between you, serpent, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed, seed which comes from, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, referred to Eve's seed, referred to as he. He shall bruise you, Satan, on your head. In other words, a mortal blow. And you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, a crucifixion which was not the last word because it gave way to resurrection. Folks, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the first promise of a coming Savior. Right there. Victory in Jesus announced in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's not very clear. It's not very specific. That's right. Because Jesus had not yet come to be crucified, resurrected, and ascended. It's a promise that was given way in advance. And folks, these people in the faith honor roll eagerly looked forward to it, yet did not receive it. You see? Isaiah chapter 9. You know this one. Yeah, Christmas. 
Listen, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's a reference to whom? Of course, you and I know that. They look forward to it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Isaiah chapter 9, 6. This is the promise, the promise of a coming redeemer who would render obsolete and endless succession of bulls and goats, for he would be the Lamb of God whose death on the cross satisfied the debt of sin once and for all. They look forward. Isaiah 53. Listen. Hey, when you get a chance, you should read it. 12 verses. You should read it. Listen, I give you one. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the him Isaiah is speaking of? What's his name? That's the Lord Jesus. That was written almost 800 years before he was born and fleshed. All of these people in the Old Testament received the promise of the him who would suffer and die in their place for their sins. They didn't see him. They didn't know specifics about him. They just knew that God promised a coming one one day who would totally lay to rest all need for other sacrifices which are just a foreshadowing of his ultimate sacrifice. But they never received the promise, you see, because they passed on before this Jesus of Nazareth was birthed in Bethlehem, grew and was crucified and resurrected. None of them experienced the full benefits of the promise, the promise they eagerly awaited. But that's not true of you and I, is it? <clears throat> These in the faith honor roll saw God work in marvelous ways. You and I sometimes are jealous. We say, oh, if only I could have been there with Gideon, with Abraham, all these heroes and heroines of the faith to see the magnificent supernatural empowerment, miraculous work of Almighty God. Oh, to be alive in that day of miracles rather than this boring old day. No, no. What we have today is a greater blessing than any all these, those had received. These are not my words. Look at verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us. God has provided something better for us. What is that something better? Oh, my goodness. It's the new covenant the writer of Hebrews has been speaking about. 
It's the new covenant, which also is mentioned in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 31, in which they longed for. He said, you know something? You got a problem. The problem is not the old covenant. I gave you my law inscribed on tablets, a reflection of my moral character. You broke every one of them. But I'll make a new covenant with you one day. Not like the old one, the one you broke. In that day, I will inscribe my law on your hearts. You will be my people. I will be your God. That's the new covenant through Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're under the new covenant. God did not give you tablets of stone, which though they are good and perfect, reveal your imperfections, your sin nature. Once God said, do this, we don't do it. Once he says, don't do this, we do it. That doesn't mean his prohibitions are wrong. It means there's something wrong with us. It means I have an inclination to sin because it reigns in my members. And under the new covenant, God said, there's nothing outside of you that can change you. Therefore, I'll come on the inside. I'll send my Holy Spirit under the new covenant to indwell you permanently. Ask me to. Invite me into your life. I'll inhabit even the darkest recesses of your life. I'll make you a temple, a holy temple. I'll clean up your act from the inside out. You can't do it yourself. That's the new covenant. God said, you can look back, but don't romanticize the days of old. Good night. We are a blessed people. We are living in the days of the new covenant. Listen to me. They looked forward to the coming of Messiah. I know his name. Do you? Don't you see? He came. He suffered. He died. He rose. His name is Jesus Christ. Oh, no. God has provided. I have the Spirit of God in me to convict me lovingly of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. I have the totality of inscripturated truth from Almighty God. It began in Genesis. It ended in Revelation. Most of the people we're reading about in chapter 11 didn't get past Genesis. I have the totality of God's inscripturated truth. And let me tell you, it's enough to feast on for eternity. You haven't exhausted its treasures, nor have I. We can mine the depths of Scripture until the time of the Lord's return. They didn't have that. We do. And so God says, have you seen the way I responded to them and blessed them and, and captivated them and manifested myself through them and on their behalf? Well, I provided something better for you. And then this rather puzzling statement so that apart from us they a reference to those of old they apart from us they would not be made perfect whoa I thought there's an error in the Bible because it should say so that apart from Jesus they would not be made perfect but it doesn't say that it says they the Old Testament people of faith apart from us, those who have come after, uh, they would not be made perfect apart from us. What does that mean? 
Well, I looked at the word perfect, and it was very helpful for me to find out it doesn't mean perfection as we think about it. It means wholeness and completeness. God is perfect. Nobody else need apply for the job. We ain't. We're flawed. We have sin. This word perfect does not mean perfect sinlessness, moral perfection. It means coming to the end for which we are destined. It means completing the course. And you know what this phrase implies? All of those giants of the faith whom we know by name are still lacking the completion of their purpose and destiny until they, along with we, and those still yet to be added by faith to God's family, are complete. You know what that told me? I am so blessed to be part of the family of God. Oh, my goodness. I have ties to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of these people. I'm not talking about ethnic ties. I'm talking about better ties. The spiritual faith ties. You do, too. I'm tied to each of those. And you want to know something? I'm not complete until my whole family has been redeemed. And they're not complete until they meet up with the entire redeemed family of God. And one day we all, regardless of the time in which we manifested our faith in God, regardless of our ethnicity and gender and age and all the rest, one day the entire redeemed family of God will be perfected in the sense of being complete and full. And then all that awaits us is Beulah land. I'm going. Are you? I hope so. <clears throat> so here's the deal, folks. You and I are prone to feel real sorry about the fact that we're in this day. I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm laboring over this. I'm filled with more disgust <laughs> and cynicism than is healthy for one's soul. <laughs> I'm just disgusted. I can't take one more nutso. <laughs> Famous person saying something blasphemous. Look, I can't take one more popular affair rephrased as a mistake I made. And then we put the guy on TV as a news commentator. Oh, for crying out loud. I just, and then I say, Lord, enough is enough. I want out. And then I've been rebuked by the word of God. Oh, I'm living in the best day. So are you. We have the Holy Spirit, not temporarily as they did, permanently. 
I will never have to pray, oh God, take not thy spirit from me. That's Old Testament stuff. I will never have to wonder how things work out. I read the last chapter of the last book. Jesus wins, we win. Oh, victory in Jesus. I don't have to look with some measure of confusion, wondering, is this the Christ? Is that the Christ? Is this the Christ? No, I know this Jesus is the Christ, for he fulfilled all these prophecies yet to be fulfilled in their day. I'm living in the best day. Now look at here, folks. If those believers on that side of the cross were willing to live with such enthusiasm, dedication, and commitment, what about those of us who look back at the cross? This is not the time for guys like me to grow cynical and lament too much. This is the time to go crazy for Jesus Christ. This is the time to turn it on. This is the time to be salt and light. <clears throat> this is the time to summon up an enthusiasm for the faith like never, never before. And I'll tell you why. I close with this. I used to wrestle when in high school. And I know every time I say something like this, you have all kinds of thoughts. What, that puny guy? Yeah, but you wrestle other puny guys. That's a... <laughs> so, I, so I was a wrestler. And one of the toughest things when you wrestle is a thing called endurance. If you think about it, you've got three periods of wrestling, about two minutes apiece. <clears throat> and you're going muscle to muscle, body to body. I mean, it just kills you. You're dying. And generally speaking, the guy who is more aerobically sound oftentimes is going to win. So you're there. You're like third period. You've got two minutes to go. You're dying. You are just dying. And then you hear your coach from the side. He'd go, uh, Stuart! I remember this like it was yesterday. I still shake. <laughs> One minute! Whoa, that helped. Cool. That helped. Stuart! 45 seconds! Whoa, baby. It was like a shot. I started thinking, I'm dying here, but I can hang in. I can... 45 seconds, I can hang in there. The end is in sight. Stuart, 30 seconds. Oh, my God, what's 30 seconds? I can do that easy. I'm going to get this guy. I'm turning it on. I thought I was dying, but I got 30 seconds. Stuart, 15 seconds. You're, you're like an animal at that time. You're saying, I am leaving nothing on the mat. It's, I'm just... Ten, nine, eight. I used to resent the coach, but as I think about it, his time indicators were so motivating because it reminded me, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer to the end. I'm getting closer to completing the task. I'm getting closer. Uh, dear folks, everyone in Hebrews 11 was not as close as we are. If they could be so fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more us? We're closer to the completion of God's redemptive plan. We're closer, we're closer than ever before. Now's not the time to get sluggish, to get down, to get bitter. Now's not the time to dig in, look for a way out, sustain. 
Now's the time to go crazy. Now's the time to leave it all on the mat. Because we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Folks, I got to tell you, whatever blessing they received, and it was great, what we have is better, better than anything all those received. So, Lord Jesus, look at that. We know your name. They didn't even know your name. So, Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be added to the family. And we are in such good company. And you're not finished. For you desire for none to perish, but for all to be saved. Maybe even tonight. Some more. Fill in the spots. Fill in the family. There's room. And Oh, God, we look forward to the time when we come into our completion as brothers and sisters in Christ, in Beulah, land without distraction, without fatigue, without impure motive, worshiping you, leaning into you throughout eternity and finding out to, to the extent we're doing so now will not in any way leave us disappointed. Lord Jesus, thank you that your return is closer today than ever before. This we pray in Jesus' name.